This is a Hoff Studios podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ruby Warrington, welcome to the Mom Curious Podcast. I am still like vibing, like literally vibing, like vibrations of happiness and joy and utter celebration of your book launch last night. Well, thank you. Oh my gosh, it was so fun. It was a packed house of women, some who have kids and some who don't, Mm -hmm. all who absolutely love you Mm -hmm. and your work. Your work includes Sober Curious and uh, ma- uh, what is it? It's mystical, no. Material girl. Material mystical girl, world. mystical world. Pardon me. Uh, the Numinous. Mm-hmm. Where uh, I I know The Numinous because my friend Alexandra used to write for them, the Holy Fuck podcast. I mean, the Holy Fuck column, and now it's a podcast. You're a book doula. You're an amazing woman. You have a podcast of your own. Your new book is Women Without Kids. Mm-hmm. I know a woman without kids, and she's sitting right there. She's my favorite Fuck woman. yeah, bro. Yes. <laughs> I'm so it's happy a, to have you on. It's a manifesto. It's a it's a, a rally cry for the unsung sisterhood. The unsung sisterhood of women without kids, yes. Mm. And I felt that vibe in the room last night. Yeah. It's the first time I've been... It's the first in-person event that I've hosted since the pandemic. And it was incredible just to be reminded of what happens when a group of people come together who are on the same vibe, who are just here for it. Mm. I really felt it in the room. Yeah. I too, I didn't sleep last night. I texted <laughs> Alexandra this morning. I was like, didn't sleep last night in the good way. Yeah. You know what I mean? I like- do. <laughs> because it was a, like a really... Um, like palpable energy. Really was. It and really I felt was. it could have, it felt so, I felt if we'd have stayed for another hour, we could have, and had a longer discussion with yeah. the q and I think it could have just like built and built and built. I could really feel that vibe. And so what I really hope with this book, I've been saying this from the beginning, I want people to read this in community. I want people to read this book <clears throat> with their mom friends, with yeah. their non-mom friends, with their partners, <clears throat> with their mothers, with their siblings with their book groups, you know, I just think it's such a conversation starter. Yes. And Rachel, who ho- co-hosted last night, touched on that as well. She's like, this is a, this book is a conversation that we need to be having. Yeah. So I feel like, um, yeah, I feel really grateful and overwhelmed at times because it's a big conversation. But here I am, I'm the person that apparently is here to steward it into the public consciousness. So as you have so many things. I mean, <laughs> right. you did it with astrology, you did it with sobriety. And here we are talking about chosen non-motherhood. It's such an interesting thing. Like you say in the book that like, there's this idea that like the epitome of womanhood is motherhood, which is such bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
but, it's but still even the in relation, even in relation to um, like even the language around saying non motherhood or not parenting or without kids, it's like, wh- <sighs> right? I feel so frustrated about that. I'm frustrated with the languaging too. There isn't any other way to say it. And what I've landed on is this: there is something that is not here. If I don't have a child, like. I don't have a child. And I guess the, it'll be interesting to see what kind of conversations come out of even this small part of the discussion. Like, what do we have when we don't have children? What do we have in our mm. lives when that space is not filled by not only the physical human beings, but also all of the caregiving and all of the attention and energy and other resources that go into mm. being a mother, you know? Mm. So what do we make space for? And Rachel, again, was sort of touching on that, like, What are the things that you have in your life as a result that are a direct result of you not having children? And it's things like, yeah, time, space, energy. Three books. Abundance, three books. Two podcasts. (laughs) Two podcasts. Lots of friends. Lots of friends. Real. Seriously. It's funny. Like I was in New York for 10 years, um, the whole time during COVID. And I sort of felt like the city had really emptied out. I just had this vibe that like people have just left and moved on. And yeah. This is a city where that kind of cycles through yeah. people, I think. You know, people come, they go, they either get burnt, <laughs> burnt out, they move and COVID, on. COVID was terrible. And then COVID the was harsh. But last night I felt I was just reminded of like, wow, there's so many amazing people in this city. And over 10 years of, again, stewarding these different projects, movements here, I just was reminded of what an amazing community there is here, of, of such forward think- thinking and progressive um, individuals. So that was really great to see last night. Yeah, it was really special for me to witness also like the family Yeah, that you created. Like yeah. even the people who raised their hands and, um, you know, they shared so openly, so vulnerably about their worries, about fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, y- you talk about having uh, an absolute no and you've always known that you didn't want children but there are people who are on the sort of you know you call it a spectrum the motherhood spectrum maybe you can go into that a little bit um and I think that the the listener here is probably one of those people Mm -hmm. because they probably wouldn't click on mom curious Mm -hmm. and the various different ways of being a mother or not um that exist but um, if you can go into what the motherhood spectrum is and and your own like uh, yeah. grappling with with that, I really so I guess that. I'll begin with a bit about my personal story. So I am what I would what I term an affirmative no about motherhood. Like I've just always known, but just on a very intuitive felt level that. I would not be a mother. It wasn't even that I was rejecting, like actively saying, oh, I definitely don't want to do that. It just wasn't even on the, it's never even been on the table for me. Mm -hmm. Personally, lots of other people put it on my table and asked me, (laughs) why are you not doing this thing? Why do you not want to be a mother? Are you sure you won't change your mind? Have you really thought about it? I mean, that's the question that, have you really thought about this? Um, Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like the biggest decision a person can make with their life. Um, It's something I've thought about. (laughs) The the therapist in your book is like like pathologizing that experience. I think a lot- Not getting off of it really, really bothered me. I think a lot of people experience that, just this- just this assumption because the conditioning, the conditioning, whether it's true or not, the conditioning is there that motherhood 
is synonymous with womanhood, that yeah. no woman is complete until she becomes a mother. This is this is very real conditioning. It still exists. And I think anybody who is um, childless by choice um, or even childless by circumstance, and I'll get into that terminology in a bit, will have kind of come up against that. Um, but I think it's, yeah, the fact that that there is this sort of assumption that you will change your mind, that you have not really considered or thought this through properly, um, that you will ultimately regret it and that there will always be something missing if you don't become a mother is so, so prevalent. So as much as as much as I had confidently just gone about living my life doing all the other things that did feel like a yes for me, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, things that I did have more time, energy and other resources to invest in because I was not a mother, um, other people had a lot of strong opinions about it. So I did. I questioned it deeply throughout my 20s and 30s. Um, what, why don't I want to do this? Is yeah. there something wrong with me? What's missing? No, there's nothing um, wrong. And so, yeah, I kind of, I wanted to write the book to speak to that process. And that can apply to someone who's more of an affirmative no or someone who's on the fence and more ambivalent about their feelings around motherhood. Like, is this something I want? Sometimes I think I do, but sometimes I think I don't. And when I weigh up all of the different factors that are gonna play into how this impacts my life, then mm, maybe it's not something I can do, let alone want to do, yeah. you know? So these, the people I was describing there who are, okay, so back to the motherhood spectrum, I yeah. kind of set the book up, chapter one talks about this. I think we've had a very binary idea of motherhood. You're either an affirmative yes, <laughs> and you are doing the right thing. You will be fulfilled, you will find happiness, um, nothing will be missing, all the boxes will be checked, or you're a no and you are destined to be sad, lonely, frustrated, unfulfilled, and probably die alone. <laughs> <laughs> and pretty, unhappy. And unhappy. Pretty, pretty, it, it just seems that there's been this very kind of binary attitude, but actually what I present, and this is something I kind of, you know, a, a positioning I approached with, used with Sober Curious as well, is that between those two extremes, actually, there is so many shades of gray and there is a spectrum when it comes to both our desire and our aptitude for the vocation of parenthood mm. where we orient on that spectrum of course is going to be influenced by our personality our family of origin the culture and the society that we grew up in mm. our economic situation our relationship status our ambitions our talents our hopes and dreams for our lives all of these health, things mental our health. health our mental health our physical ability, our gender expression, all of these mm. things are gonna impact whether or not we want to become a parent or are able to become a parent. Right. Um, and going, we've had this very, this, this binary has kind of really boiled human beings down to our biological reproductive capacity. It says if you have the biological capacity to birth a child, then that is what you are here to do when obviously, just obviously, all of these other factors are gonna play an equal, if not bigger role on uh, in our feelings about becoming a parent and even our feelings about being a parent once we've had That's children. Right. I mean, I read it as a parent mm -hmm. of two mm -hmm. and I loved every single word. I loved how you dug deep into the epigenetics about, I talk so at length about breaking family cycles. You know what a great way to break family cycles is? Not to have kids. Right. That, that's an option. And I think that the um, the book really 
outlines how important the mother experience actually really is. Yes. That it's to be considered that there are enough people in the world, even with the rapid decline. Is this really happening? <laughs> I mean, that's somewhere else we can go. I want to touch on this, this idea that something is ending with us when we don't have children. Yeah. That sometimes is presented as very sad. And it can feel sort of, oh, this is it. This ends with me. But on the other side, what if like this ends with me? This ends with me. This is a consideration that our mothers, their mothers, and certainly their mothers never even had the option to consider. Mm -hmm. Do I want to continue another cycle of whatever family drama dysfunction I find myself embroiled in? You it's said that only it from the 1960s onwards that a, a more mainstream conversation has been happening. And it's still by no means an option for I would say a majority of women in the world. It's still something that we are fighting for women to have, the, the actual space to consider and make a considered decision about our procreative potential, what that's gonna mean for us on a mental, physical, emotional, and a spiritual level. Mm. And that's just huge. And I don't think it can be stated enough, like how important it is for women to be able to enter into motherhood with full agency and full a full understanding of all of the potential consequences and impacts on her life and her children's lives. And their children's lives. As a lives. result, exactly. It's a huge And the planet itself. And the planet itself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said in the book that about 80% of people would consider their family of origin to be dysfunctional. Yes. What? That's yes. a very big number. It is. And it's interesting, like, you know, as a journalist of 25 years experience, I... If you, if you search around for long enough, you can find statistics that will pretty much back up any argument you want to make. <laughs> but the statistics around family dysfunction are, yeah, pretty clear. Uh, the majority of people, and I was actually having this conversation with Alexandra over dinner after the event last night. Mm. We were just questioning, oh, this idea, this kind of Brady Bunch kind of, you know, ideal of this idealized happy family who all sort of get along and maybe they have a few disagreements, but they all just love each other really. Does that actually exist? Because I don't really know, I don't, I don't really, I haven't really seen that many examples of this kind of sentimentalized um, kind of happy family scenario. I think that the majority of people, this is probably to do with the fact that we have more language now and more understanding of what family dysfunction even is. I think so mm -hmm. much of what we view and call family dysfunction now, right. 100 years ago was normal. normal. <laughs> Just normal, you know? Yeah. It wouldn't e even have been seen as dysfunctional. So the fact that people have the tools, the access, the language to assess, is this something I want to replicate by it potentially replicate if by bringing another human being into the world and entering into another cycle of everything I've inherited, my emotional inheritance from my family of origin. It's a huge piece of this mm. conversation and it's absolutely, I think, impacting people's ultimate decisions. Even Rachel last night was talking yes. about how her decision not to have a child is very much linked to the specific flavor or kind of, of her family trauma, you know, having been a caregiver for a mother with disabilities from a very young age, she's mothered out. She's like, I did my mothering when I was a kid. And this is something I've heard from a lot of women without kids actually, um, which again is not really spoken of. Mm. But this idea that many of us, and particularly in a society where 
family structures are so fragile, you know, where there is often a lot of abuse of power, where the freedom and agency dynamic among, you know, parents is often very unequal. Um, yeah, there's a lot of kids who are parentified yeah. at a very early age, whether it means caring for emotionally immature parents, physically, um, you know, handicapped, handicapped, but also just kind of um, materially challenged, let's say parents, mm. you know, parents who are struggling to make ends meet and yeah. relying on their kids or whether they're caring for younger siblings. Um, a lot of non-mothers, a lot of women I've met who are questioning whether they want to become mothers. Yeah, they can identify. I kind of feel like I, I just want to look after myself now. I'm done with looking after everybody else, you know? Yeah. And that's an absolutely valid option. That's not a selfish option. No, actually, it's actually the opposite of selfish because we need happy people. Yeah, we really we need, need happy, happy people. people. Like we need happy people writing books. We need happy people as cashiers. We need happy people walking down the street for ourselves, for our children, for, I mean, happy people are people who aren't eating too much or um, or burning this or, or, or drinking too much or burning this, this earth you know, right. down. Right. Happy people are the ones who are there every day enjoying their lives you know without what? the suffering of others. Happy, just... happy people are also the people who can step up to help love and right. and bring up and be a big participant in your children's lives exactly Parents which is exactly what laura does absolutely so, like if you if i don't have kids and i believe caitlin touched on this when she was here and if i don't have kids it it opens me up to show up for you then yeah when you need it in a different way that i might not be able to do if i had kids yeah, yeah. So it's really is about that sangha. It's about community. Community, you know? society at, at large. I think something that I loved in the writing, um, Ruby, is that you uh, get very specific about your own personal story, mm -hmm. which I so appreciate. I, you know, this whole podcast is about, you know, each particular person's firsthand account because I really believe that that's how we connect. That's how mm -hmm. we grow um, as a collective. And what you also did was because you have this journalistic view, you allowed um, you, you allowed us to sort of pull back the lens and say, okay, well, I've always known that I didn't want children. What about those who are still grappling? What about those with infertility issues? What about those? What is going on in society at large that is are making um, women these days not want to have kids. Or unable to have kids. Or unable. For whatever reason. So this might be a good <clears throat> point to touch on the childless by circumstance. Mm -hmm. So there are statistics that show that of all the people who don't have children, about 10% are childless by choice. This is um, <clears throat> an affirmative no to motherhood. Um, this is something I'm choosing for myself very kind of confidently and clearly. Then you have about 10% who've been impacted by fertility issues. And then the remaining 80% are what are called childless by circumstance. Okay. Would potentially have become parents had things just kind of worked out differently, you know? The things, the kind of circumstances that are impacting people's procreative outcomes in this way, economic situation, 
um, wanting to establish themselves in their career before embarking on parenthood. Mm -hmm. And increasingly we're seeing women chided for that. You really should be having children in your 20s, you know, and then thinking about your career. Okay, but how am I supposed to support myself in my 20s? And where am I supposed to be finding someone in my 20s on these fucking dating apps where it's all about transactional sex? Like, I... I Sorry. And who are we <laughs> no. having this conversation? But who are we having this conversation with, right? Right. Uh, you talk about how uh, women without kids are othered. Mm. Who is othering these women, mm. and why? Why? Right. On the well, whole, my guess, can I just say, as being a <laughs> yes. major recipient of this, <laughs> yes. so just for some context, me and my husband have been together since we're eighteen years old. So, like everyone is absolutely like, why don't you have children? You know, and I'm like. If I had focused on having children in my 20s, we wouldn't be sitting in my studio recording this podcast right now in my 30s. You know, it was like that was the sacrifice we right. wanted to work. We worked together. We built this business together. And that mm. was something we much preferred to do. And it was more probably more suited to who you are as individuals mm. for all of the kinds of reasons that I listed earlier. Absolutely. But I was also always a pretty hard no. In Like from a very young age, instinctually just knew it was like not a thing that mm -hmm. I needed to do mm. or wasn't going to do is a better way to put it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, it's I'm noticing a major increase in getting shit for it. <laughs> and I'm tired of it. The older you well, get. How, yeah, I'm closer yes, to 40. How yes, old are yes, you? Because I'm so I'm 35. And okay, people this is are the concerned. Age this is the age because we have this kind of, I don't know, quote unquote, scientific kind of view that past age 35, it gets a lot harder well, that's a for a woman to conceive. It becomes pregnancy. a geriatric pregnancy. So the, <laughs> for, give, get, you've got five years of this. Yes. By, the, by the time you turn 40, everyone will just kind of leave you alone. They'll fuck off and be like, oh, she didn't get the memo, whatever. Beautiful. You do you, babe. <laughs> <laughs> Good, only five more years to go. I got it. I could do five more. <laughs> you go into an idea of like pronatalism. Mm. Is, that, is that what it's called? That is the term. Okay. Um, would you would you let us sure. know what that is? Because I think these people, these these people who are bullying you guys. Yes. Bullying. It's uh, bullying. It's harassment. It's harassment. It's a big problem. It really because they they're basically are, saying this is what you should be doing with your body. And you're less than because you are not doing it is implied all the time. Yes. Or you will be lacking Ooh. and sad and you will not be able to pick up the pieces also, it will be too late if you're telling me you don't want to have children you don't know your own mind yes <laughs> yes 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 so pronatalism this is this is a function of pronatalism for pronatalism is one of the cornerstones of patriarchy it's an ideology the ideology of pronatalism says that parents are more valid than non-parents. So, you know, I had this in the first season of Mom Curious, my best friend Genevieve Angelson, a, a prolific artist and actress, sat down and we had a lovely conversation. And all of a sudden in the middle of it, she had a, a, a real emotional reaction to feeling like, oh my gosh, I don't feel like I my life is as worthy as yours because you have children. And I looked her straight in the eye and I was like, this is crazy. This is brainwashing. It is brainwashing. Yeah. And it's 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 embedded in our psyches and our culture to the extent that people don't realize they don't know they're doing it. It's no. just like this assumption 
But the way that we move beyond these conditioned beliefs is we bring them out into the open, we look at them, we talk about them, we're like, where did that come from? Who's benefiting from this? Very importantly, who is benefiting from this? So who is? Tell me. Okay, so we touched on, <laughs> we touched on um, the scaremongering around population collapse. Yep. So on the one, it's very interesting. On the one hand, we have you know, people who are concerned about the environment and the future of the planet saying we have too many people. The planet and the planetary systems just simply cannot support the level of kind of population growth that's occurring. And on the other hand, we have people saying we're in, we're headed for a crisis. We are not having an, enough new people are not being born to support the aging population. Plus people are now living too long having spent, you know, centuries investing so much money, time, energy, and human ingenuity into expanding and extending human lifespans. Now people are living too long. And so we need people to get with the procreative program and make sure we have enough, essentially taxpaying workers coming into the economy to support our aging populations. This is pronatalism. So this is pronatalism. And so when we have when we have things occurring such as the overturning of Roe v. Wade, this is a pronatalist tactic to ensure that we're having more babies born to feed human labor, cheap human labor into the economy as it currently exists. So when people talk about population collapse, it's people like it's the Elon Musks of the world. They're talking about the collapse of an economic system, which is dependent not only on a constant source of fresh human labor power at the lowest cost to the, the, the captains of industry. And the more people there are, the less power people have in terms of their value and their value in the labor force, right? Um, but it also depends on women's unpaid child rearing labor. This is something that feminists in the 70s were, were talking about. It was central to the message of the women's liberation movement, but it sort of got lost a little over the past few decades. And it's, I think that this conversation about women without kids is revitalizing or putting the attention back on this simple fact. And I think the timing is very interesting. I started writing this, writing the proposal during the COVID pandemic. Um, I'd already had the idea in 2019, but I'm writing the proposal as there are so many headlines about the COVID childcare crisis and how, my goodness, once schools and childcare and support systems are stripped away, we've reverted to the 1950s when it comes to gender roles in the home, which just shows how little real change or reform has been done in thinking about how families are supported, what families need, who does what in families, who gets remunerated what for doing, for performing the labor of child rearing. And so I think that conversation was really stirred up by the COVID situation mm -hmm. and is absolutely a big part of. So when we're thinking about how are we gonna support our older population, focusing on, well, we need more people <laughs> to ensure that there are enough young people to, and like quote unquote care for, no, to pay taxes into a system so we can keep paying out the same pittance of a social security that elder people receive. Um, yeah. um, but going, but focusing on that requires us to go back to sort of very regressive, very oppressive pre-feminist ideas about what women's place is and what women's role is in society. You know, it places women very firmly back in this role of, as Rianne Eisler, who's an amazing social scientist, on sort of gender issues um, talks about as being the, the 
the technologies of reproduction, ultimately. When what we actually should be focusing on is, well, how do we better organize our economic system and our societies to support people from birth to mm -hmm. death? Mm -hmm. This is something I kind of touched on last night. You know, we, we're being asked to, I think, revalue the entirety of a human life. What does it mean? to bring a human life into the world? And how do we value that life from birth to death, not from birth to retirement? Mm -hmm. At which point people just become, they have no economic value. And so they are just written out of the story about what it even means to be a human, which is just so sad, so depressing. And it's at the heart of the fear mongering, which is still the one that, it's still the one that niggles at me. Who will care for me when I'm old? Well, listen. I have a neighbor who was an amazing mother. I've seen her, I've seen her with my children and I've seen her with her four children. You know who takes care of her? An aide. Right. Come Is on. it paid for I by her children? Probably not. Mm. And I heard you say that last night also. Mm. And I wanted to be like, babe, you gotta meet my neighbor. <laughs> I do wanna meet your and neighbor. And also like my grandmother. I mean, my mother was very, 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 very good to my grandmother until the day she died. Mm. I I but really, who's their day in, day out? Mm -hmm. Hey, mm -hmm. you know? Yes, exactly. And, and I don't know exactly who's paying for it, but I don't think her children are paying for it. I think she had money. And, and this is the other thing. Like, so, I am able to actively save for my retirement because I don't have children. So I fully intend to be able to support myself. I'm making plans now in my 40s to be able to support myself in my 80s. I wouldn't necessarily be able to do that if I was channeling my resources, not just my financial resources, but my intellectual resources, my time, my energy into motherhood. Yeah. So we have a whole generation of women, thanks to the women's liberation movement, who have been generations of women who have been given the opportunities to create financial stability for ourselves. Our old age is going to look very different from the boomers who are aging out of the workforce now, those boomer women didn't have any option to create financial stability for themselves. And right. so they need us, their daughters sometimes, to assist them. Women who have been able to prioritize our own financial stability and put our careers first and invest in our careers and invest in ourselves will be in a very different picture place financially when we age out of our working years, you know? Um, you did mention mother in terms of taking care of an elderly mother, and I know that you have an elderly mother that you're caring for now. Last night, you said that aside from realizing that you're really happy you don't have kids because you're really an introvert. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm an extrovert, so so now I, I felt very validated in that. <laughs> I was like, wow, I love people. <laughs> I need people around me all the time. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, that's just would drive me completely yeah. insane. But also you said that you have really found a new bond with your mother. And yes. I was hoping you could um, just talk a little bit about yes. that. Yes. I mean, it's sort of numinous, ineffable in its nature as these kind of things are. But I shared last night that I, sh you know, I gave my mother the first draft of the manuscript to read. There's a lot of her story. It was necessary to give, tell her story, to give my story context. I needed, I needed partly for myself just in the writing to when I was really digging into the roots of like, why do I not want to be a mother? I had identified quite early on in my research process and probably, you know, in my own life on a subconscious level that my feelings about 
being mothered and my experience of being mothered could not help but influence how I felt about becoming a mother, you know? And I'd already had some conversations over the past few years with my mom about just the mothers in my lineage and had realized how much pain and suffering had been experienced by the mothers in my lineage. People being abandoned, people experiencing mental illness, being institutionalized, having their children taken away from them. I mean, just so much trauma, you know? You know, um, I thought about this around institution being institutionalized and having children taken away from you. We would not be able to have this conversation and be safe right. in those generations. Right. This conversation alone my admission that, wow, yeah, some people really shouldn't have kids. Like, <laughs> I'll tell you straight up, it's not for everyone. Right. It's not easy. Right. That, even admitting it's not easy. Right. Would land me into an institution in some Potentially, generation. potentially. Or, or admitting, or, or people who experience postpartum depression when oh, there was no name for that, goodness. who were just medicalized. My, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother was on Valium for most of her life right. and was completely checked out. I had no relationship with her. She was like a, a ghost in the family almost. A living ghost. And when I think about her, like that was just kind of who she was, but I've obviously been reflecting a ton on like what I inherited from her or how my experience of motherhood might have kind of in some way been akin to hers because of our genetic and emotional in inheritance, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I already had an inkling that mothers in my family had had a hard time, but it, I wanted to put this into the manuscript just to kind of help make sense and give context for my story, I suppose. So I shared it with my mother and it was very, she was very hurt, very upset. There were some very challenging conversations that we needed to have. One thing I realized as well is that there's no such thing as the absolute truth when it comes to our relationship with other human beings. <laughs> Everybody has their very distinct version of events yeah. and the story that they have essentially created about what happened right. to make sense of it for them. And I realized that my story about my childhood is very different from my parents' story about my childhood. And they separated when I was one. Yeah. So both my parents have a very different story about what happened as well. And siblings too. You <laughs> right. know, like you look at siblings, like you, your your um, brother has a child, right? Yes. You look at siblings, they have a totally different outlook on life. They have the same, like, essentially genetic pool, uh -huh. the, the same household. Mm -hmm. you, they, they were probably growing up in the same city or town or whatever. Mm -hmm. And yes, completely different experiences, different truths. So excavating what what everybody felt comfortable with as our shared truth was harrowing. I will use the word harrowing. It was very, very painful. And the conversations that I've had, particularly with my mother as a result, have engendered a kind of a closeness that I never felt with her before. You know, never. I never thought I would be able to have a relationship with my mother where I felt really seen and accepted by her. For, what, for all sorts of reasons. But she's just seen and accepted parts of me that, yeah, I didn't even realize needed to have that acknowledgement from her. And as I shared last night, it's kind of bittersweet because I'll say it this way and then I'll kind of explain <laughs> why I'm saying it this way. But it's bittersweet in a way because I do wonder if I had, if this had all happened 10, 15 years ago, would I have had or started to have a relationship with my mother that I did feel I would love to replicate this with another human being, mm. you know? Would it have altered where I fall on the motherhood spectrum, mm. you know? Ultimately, I am absolutely confident that being a non-mother is the absolute right 
path for me and for my gifts. And it has enabled me to really focus on who I am, what I have to give the world that's not a child. And I'm so grateful that to have had that opportunity and to have been born and come of age at a time when that's been supported by the culture that I've been raised in as well. Mm. Again, definitely not the case for all women on the planet at this juncture in our human story. Still, mm. not, the, still not true for most women. Um, but yeah, it's been incredible to, to have that healing happen with my mother as a result of writing this book. And I, the writer and the artist in me knows that if I've experienced that, other people will experience that through engaging with this work. I agree. You know? You have a beautiful um, questionnaire in the book that really moved me as a mother. Mm -hmm. And I think um, it's it's worth taking a look at no matter where you fall on the motherhood spectrum. I had this experience when I had my son, not actually right after I had my son, but watching my mother love my son in the way that I wished she could have and she really couldn't at the time let me just tell you that if wow. she could she would yeah was so is so healing for me mm. and that um sort of like metaphor of the book and the baby just remind me that creation in and of itself, that creating oneself, understanding oneself, accepting yourself as you did, Ruby, mm. really allows us to have that intimacy with everybody, but mm. more than ever with our primary relationships that'll be primary for until the day we die, until the day Absolutely. we die. Absolutely, until the day we die, long after they are gone. Mm -hmm. And I'm also, I have to give a shout out to my mother. She started having therapy in when I was about 12. She used to attend and then started to lead conscious parenting groups. Wow. So she really like has done so much of her own work. And I'm so grateful, like as a result of that, she's been able to meet me in this moment. And I also acknowledge that for, for some people that that won't necessarily be possible. Like you have your, your, the person you're doing your healing with on some level has to be able to meet you, I think. And I'm so grateful that my mother has been able to do that, um, to bring us to this place. That said, a, an individual can come to so much understanding, acceptance, healing on their own, just by kind of stating what needs to be stated, perhaps creating a boundary that needs to be created that hasn't been able to be constructed before. There are all kinds of ways to get really deep healing around this issue without the active engagement of a, of a willing parent well you um mentioned marine selenay yes she, i saw you like called her out her quotes on insta yeah she um she was my my coach That's as amazing. a yeah family constellation and i love the scene you laid out mm. in the book maybe you want to go into it because that that's actually a great example of you dealt with your mother your grandmother your lineage without them yeah. ever being in the room exactly so family constellations is a form of therapy that again is super numinous it's intangible in a way um and it's designed to help us kind of Put the puzzle pieces of our lineage together and to organize people and situations as they are supposed to be. It's hard to describe, but yeah. I experienced Maureen's work in about 2014, a couple of years after I'd moved to New York um, and had an incredible experience in a session where I really 
I experienced I experienced being my mother's mother in a mm. way I kind of was able to embody my maternal grandmother who passed away when my mom was 18. So I never knew her. And to feel in my body how much my mother had lost mm. through losing her mother and just get a kind of an understanding on a completely non-intellectual emotional level of what she was therefore unable to give me because she had not received it from her mother. And there was so much pain in that. And it's taken a long time to like really accept that. Um, but that's been part of our healing story. And she didn't, she wasn't present in that session. It's like drama therapy. Kind of. But just, you're, to, just to paint that the picture for That can be a bit intimidating for someone listening. who's like, who's a real introvert. Ah. And like the idea of improv from drama therapy is just like, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> but you not, went. Why'd you I go? Did, I did because I was, because I'm also brave and curious. And <laughs> check it. I wanted to check it out. It was when I was first establishing my it's platform, The Numinous. And I wanted to, I was a blog that I was running that was all about kind of um, yeah, mis mystical healing techniques, I suppose. And this sounded really interesting, but it's, there's no improv. Like you're kind of given lines to speak by the practitioner and told where to, where to stand and what to do. It's very directed. Yeah. You're not having to lead it or guide it in any way. So it actually felt really safe. Maureen's such an amazing facilitator yeah. and holds the space really securely. And so, yeah. But if you want, do you want to add something about how it works it, well it was found it was founded by Bert Hellinger he did some work in the Zulu tribes of Africa and um what they would do was in order to reconcile these um family constellations mm. um these family lines um they would have these sort of meetings and people would play um at the characters in another person's life the way you write about it in the book is so beautiful um, we only have five minutes. What? That went so fast. No, I'm checking my notes. <laughs> Feel so bummed about that. Um, mm, well, you know what? We did a lot of stuff here. We did. I was reflecting on what oh, we communicated the doula. about and mm. okay. Wait, wait, you're reflecting. Go oh, back. no, I was just reflecting. I was like, we covered pronatalism, <laughs> population collapse, intergenerational healing. I think we've been doing pretty good. What about the female body um, having sex because it feels good? Ah, yes. We didn't cover Thank that. You. But Hardly we said anyone it. has there asked me about this. So there's a chapter in the book called Sexual Evolution. This was the hardest chapter to write. I was editing it until the very last minute um, because it's still sort of, it's so unspoken in a way. Um, but part of pronatalism and patriarchy dictates that women's or female sexuality is primarily and almost exclusively for reproductive purposes. The idea that female body people can have a sexuality that is purely for pleasure and self-gratification is still absolutely shockingly taboo. And I think that women without kids, without having to say a word, are the walking, talking embodiment of this fact. Which is why you, you know? get bullied, guys. Which Do is one know? reason we get bullied. And I think one reason there's so much stigma. I've spoken to, I was speaking to Alexandra about this. She's like, yeah. Done. She's like, as the, <laughs> as the single childless one, I used to feel so slutty. And I'm like, I could relate to, I'm like, yeah, kind of slutty, like dirty almost. That's not yours, you know? guys. That's oh my God. That's so there. Well, Throw it out. Do you know not what yours, I get? Theirs. I get often because we have been together for so long. Um, 
and people are confused. Uh, are you swingers? There's an implication that we swing. And that's why you don't have And that's children. why we don't have kids because we're like part of the lifestyle and like it's like kind of right. implied that and I'm, it's happened from people I know very, very well that I'm like, where the fuck would I have the time for that to like people, you know, that it's like, where do you get off even bringing this up with yeah. me? Yeah. Um, How is that? So your it's business? interesting. It's yeah. like they'll find a way where there's a will, there's a way to like shame and like, you know, slut shame in some way. Like, you know, it's it's remarkable. It really for is. any any female woman, woman identifying individual who is engaging with their sexuality for non-reproductive purposes, there is this shame that's projected at us. Um, and I think this applies to queer sexuality too. Any non-procreative sex has been deemed shameful, deviant, not allowed. You not know, wholly. the fundamentalist kind of religious take on orgasm even is the reason orgasm exists is to make us procreate. Like that's the only reason. But no, we know that this is about well-being, pleasure, intimacy, connection, enjoyment of life. I mean, connection to divinity. It's connection to divinity, creativity. Like it's just, so yeah, there's a chapter called Sexual Evolution where I talk about this being kind of the undone work of the sexual revolution. The sexual revolution kind of liberated women from having to have babies having to have babies when they have sex but the fact that there is still so much kind of weird unspoken slut shaming or spoken even <laughs> around women who don't have children or just this kind of side eye of like oh i see you you know it's um the fact that that still exists and that being a woman without kids is still so taboo just tells me there's still work to done in this area to be done in this area not least that homophobia and transphobia is also still so rampant you know and anybody engaging with their sexuality in ways that are seen as deviant are demonized um this is part of our ongoing sexual evolution as a human species i believe you know and if anything i would i would you know i spoke to evolutionary biologists about this and i just from a philosophical standpoint i can't help but think if organized religion and patriarchal structures had just butted out of the ways that in which people engage with their sexuality, we wouldn't have, be having these kind of population crises. We might have like just the right amount of people on the planet. We don't need any more. This is a bullshit that there's a crisis. Right. We definitely don't need any more. No. The planet, AI the planet is taking all of our jobs anyway. Say, well, we're... that's the other thing. And this is like just, you know... Elon Musk, like I said, is one of the main sort of most vocal um, and well, it's the people. Whole, it's the whole family, right? If I'm not mistaken, the little bit that I know, because his dad is also like a big. Oh, I don't know. Oh, oh, you gotta look into it. It's look a family this. thing, and it's a big like populate the earth. There's a whole. It's a whole thing. Interesting. Yeah, okay, I, I don't need know to do more research on this. I, I'm mentioning yep. it because he's been he's he's um, featured quite prominently in a new in a new documentary called Birth Gap that's really heavy on the scaremongering around population collapse and very, very clearly in the documentary interviewing multiple women. So why did, why have you left it too late to have children? No men like, no. They took, there's all these men sort of scratching their heads going, what happened in the 19th? The birth rate really started to decline in the 1970s. What happened? I mean, it's just, what happened? I'm like, the women's liberation movement, you guys. <laughs> What happened? Why is the birth rate declining? And then they interview all these women 
why have you not why have you why have you left it so late don't you realize you should have been doing this in your 20s it's just really shocking anyway musk is featured quite um prominently talking about population collapse whilst at the same time investing billions of billions of dollars which could be going into i don't know things like childcare or healthcare or you know things that people and families actually need um we really with need a it. mission to essentially colonize mars whilst also <laughs> Putting more billions of dollars into self-driving car technologies and other AI technologies, which will essentially eradicate the need for humans for the purpose of maximizing profits for corporations. So it's just the hypocrisy of it all just makes me want to vomit, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, please um, keep vomiting and keep talking about it. Yeah, let's keep talking about it. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time. I'm, I'm like so in love with this conversation. I'm I I really believe I believe as a mother that we have to really honor everyone's individuality. Right. We no two people are the same. Literally no right. two people are the same. I'm like so thrilled. Like I get a high off of your happiness, your confidence in your choices. When you sat up there and you were like, and then I, I, I'm turning 47 and I'll tell you, I got no regrets. <laughs> like that makes me so happy yeah. knowing that we get to choose that, that there are many ways like, you know, they can, there's a Rolodex of, of people that we sort of point to on this podcast of all the different ways to be a mother. And mm. also you don't have to be mm. a mother. You just don't, it, does, it doesn't have to get done. You can doula other people's beautiful babies in the form of books, in the form of actual babies, in the form of, you businesses, know. Businesses, podcasts. Businesses, podcasts. I mean, relationships. Their own selves. Yes. I mean, there are so much, there's a lot of work we can do on this earth. I love, I love, I love the work you're doing. And I'm really grateful for the life you're living. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank you. That's thank awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for being here. Guys, check out the book. This, yeah. is, this is just the beginning. This is just like the, the tip of the iceberg. So enjoy Women Without Kids by Ruby Warrington. Where can we find you? On Instagram, at Ruby Warrington. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with Instagram, but when I have something I actually want to talk about, I appreciate having the platform. So I'm using it currently. I might take a break in the summer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I'm there. But my website, rubywarrington.com, you mentioned a podcast. There yeah. is a Women Without Kids podcast. It's a limited series that I created um, from research interviews for the, for the book. So yeah. really in-depth interviews with social scientists, um, evolutionary biologists, psychologists about all the kind of issues that we've been discussing. Um, yeah, I think that's that's where that's where I'm at for now. Great. And you're on your book tour now. You're going to go off to Germany. Yes, and... from here I go to London and then Berlin. And then I probably will be doing something in Miami. I've also got a Women Without Kids in-person retreat happening at Kripalu in Massachusetts in the middle of June. So One of my favorite places on earth. Fabulous. What a great, what a great venue. <laughs> Please come join us. I literally couldn't be better suited. So I'll see you there. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Thank you, as always, for listening to the Mom Curious Podcast. My name is Daniela Ravani. I am your host. And I would love to continue this conversation at Daniela Ravani on Instagram. And if you'd be so kind to rate and review, share this podcast, I would be just really grateful. Catch you next time. 
every Tuesday on the Mom Curious Podcast, produced by Hoff Studios. You can find them at Hoff Studios on Instagram as well. All right, have a great day.